Uh, I've got a few pictures for you to uh, pick from. Uh, it could be that you're a traditionalist and uh, you like the red and the gold and the green. Uh, perhaps you're the light type and uh, you want the one that's all lit up. Uh, you might like to go for something novel and go for the upside down one. Maybe at this stage of the game, though, if you haven't got your Christmas tree up, you'd like something like this simple one made out of a paddle pop stick. Or it could be that for you, the perfect Christmas tree is the one that's still in the ground. This morning we're thinking, uh, sorry, continuing on our series on the perfect Christmas today, it's all about the perfect Christmas tree. Uh, Maybe for you, your Christmas tree is a real feature of Christmas. Uh, Maybe for you, your Christmas tree is just token. Whatever your interest, it turns out that there is a tree that's closely associated with Christmas. It's just probably not the tree you're thinking of. And this perfect Christmas tree shows us the brilliance of Christmas and why we should marvel and glory at our great King Jesus. But look, in order to understand the perfect Christmas tree, we first need to know the meaning of Christmas. Uh, So let's have a look. Last week we're in Luke 1. We saw the meaning of Christmas is all about Jesus coming to be God's appointed king. This week, that idea is fleshed out a little bit more for us as we look at Luke 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. And as I read, please count how many references there are to the Old Testament law. Okay, how many are there? Luke 2, 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, how many Old Testament references did you find? I reckon there's four. There's Jesus being circumcised, there's the time of purification according to the law, there's presenting Jesus to the Lord as is written in the law, and there's offering a sacrifice in keeping with the Lord. Now, why is Luke hammering away at all this law stuff? Well, it's because we're being shown at least two things here. One, Joseph and Mary were faithful Israelites. They were keeping the law of God. But more importantly, two, that at that time, Israel as a nation was still under the law of God. Now, look, I know that's really obvious given all the law bits that we've just seen, but it's really important to know that at that time, Israel was still under the law. You need to understand that in order to understand what comes next. And what comes next, it's big. As Joseph and Mary take Jesus into the temple, they meet this man named Simeon, and this is where things get really interesting. I'm going to read verse 25. See what we learn about Simeon. Verse 25, now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, look, I know at first reading that verse doesn't, it doesn't look like there's much happening there, but a closer reading reveals that something enormous is about to happen. We're told here Simeon was righteous and devout. In other words, he's a faithful Israelite too and... He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's a strange little phrase, isn't it? The consolation of Israel. What it tells us is that at the time of Jesus being born, Israel was in some sort of sorrow. Because you don't console someone unless they're in some sort of sorrow. But in what sense was Israel in need of consoling? Why would Simeon be waiting for the 
consolation of Israel. Well, this is where it's real handy to know that Israel at this time was still under Old Testament law. Because yes, God had given Israel his law, but for hundreds of years, Israel had treated it with contempt. And when God gave them his law, he said that disobeying it would bring Israel under the curse of the law. And the curse of the law was that God would rain down on them in judgment for their disobedience. He promised that if they persisted in, their, in disobeying his law, he would send foreign armies to destroy them and to take them out of the promised land. And it's just what he did back in about 600 BC. But God also promised that after he had judged Israel for a sin, after the curse of the law, he would console Israel. He'd bring her back. The consolation of Israel would see God save Israel, crushing her enemies before her. He'd bring them back into the land. He'd re-establish their king. He would give them new hearts so that they would obey him. When it would be time for the consolation of Israel, it, it would be glorious. It would be like coming home from war, away from all that terror and death and back home to safety and to blessing. Now, here in Luke 2, Israel's back in the promised land. In fact, they'd been about 500 years since God had brought them back. And so you would think that the time of God's judgment had long gone. But remember, Simeon is still waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel might be back in the land, but she has not been consoled. The great promises of God, of what life would look like when the curse of the law was lifted, those great promises hadn't come true yet. At the time of Simeon and in the birth of Jesus, Israel's hearts were still sinful. Israel did have a king, but he was a Roman king, the emperor, Caesar. And so their enemies weren't crushed. In fact, their enemies were their conquerors. When Jesus was born, Israel was still in sorrow, still under the judgment of God, still under the Old Testament law, still under its curse. Now, it's all been bad news so far. But in verse 26, things start to look up. Because not only was Simeon waiting for the consolation of Israel, he'd also been told by God that he would see the one who would bring the consolation about. That one day Simeon would see the Lord's Christ, the promised king, who would save Israel. And we're told from verse 26 that that one day had come. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. In the words of Simeon, we here have the meaning of Christmas. He's telling us the incredible significance of the birth of Jesus. Simeon sees baby Jesus, which means his eyes have seen God's salvation. The time for the consolation of Israel has come. The birth of Jesus heralds that the curse of the law, God's judgment, was finally going to come to an end. But did you notice 
that the salvation is to be for more than just Israel. In verse 32, God's salvation will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. These words about Jesus being a light for the Gentiles, they're reminiscent of Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49. And in those chapters, Isaiah, uh, he speaks of a time when God's salvation would swarm over the face of the earth, that it would be too small a thing for his chosen one to just save Israel. God would make him the saviour of the world. And with the birth of Jesus, that time has come. That's the meaning of Christmas. God's king has arrived to usher in God's global salvation. I want you to imagine that you are tra- you've travelled back in time to the 18th century. You're still you, but you're back now living in a village in the 1700s. And you're talking to people in the marketplace in the 1700s and you're trying to describe plane travel across the world. And so you speak of getting into this massive metal container, this huge thing that weighs hundreds of tonnes, but it can move at hundreds of kilometres of an hour. So fast it can actually get off the ground and stay up in the air. And it can travel in the air for about half a day and you end up all the way over the other side of the world and this thing can land without crashing. Now, assuming that the people you're talking to don't think you're a raving lunatic, this plane travel thing you're talking about sounds fantastic. But they're going to be asking, how on earth is it possible? They've never seen anything like it. It sounds amazing, but how could it happen? Now, it would have been a little bit like that for Joseph and Mary. What Simeon spoke of sounds amazing, but how could it happen? That, that their little baby boy, he's the long-awaited Christ? That God's judgment on Israel was finally coming to an end and that his salvation is so good that it it can't be just contained to Israel. It's going to spill over into the nations. It sounds fantastic, but how on earth could that happen? Well, this is where the tree fits in. Up on the screen are going to come some words from Galatians chapter 3. Now, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul has been speaking about uh, being under the curse of the law. That Israel, and really anyone else who wants to try and keep the law, that they will only ever be under God's judgment. They will only ever be under the curse of the law because no one can keep the law. But then in verse 13, we we learn how Jesus saved Israel from the curse of the law, and he did it with a tree. So up on the screen, Galatians 3, verse 13, when Paul says us, he's speaking as an Israelite, okay? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us, that's Israel, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Paul says that Israel was under the curse of the law, but that Christ redeemed them from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for them when he hung on a tree. When he died on a cross, Christ endured their judgment for them and so brought God's judgment to an end. And so any Israelite who turns to Christ Jesus, they receive God's consolation. But look, the real kicker of all of this comes for us comes in verse 14 because so far it's all about Israel and we're not Israelites. But remember Luke 2, the consolation of Israel, so big, so good, can't be contained to just Israel. 
Well, here comes verse 14, again on the screen. He redeemed us, that's Israel, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The startling news here is that the death of Christ on that tree was not just for Israel, but for Gentiles as well. The death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, it was for both Israel and the nations. And so being brought out from God's judgment, being consoled by God with the forgiveness of your sins, being made into the people of God, being given the spirit of God, God's great salvation swarming over the face of the earth, overflowing to the Gentiles, it is all through Christ's death on that tree. And so the perfect Christmas tree is not a pine. It's not a fir. The perfect Christmas tree is a cross. Because Christmas without the cross, well, that's like a dad saying that he'll help his child ride a bike, but never getting around to it. Christmas is God saying that he'll bring his judgment to an end and save his worldwide people. The cross is God actually doing it. So look, where does all this leave us? Well, the Bible's got lots to say about how we should respond to God's global salvation. But for now, let's turn back to Luke 2 and we'll take a leaf out of Joseph and Mary's book. Luke 2, verse 33. Simeon's just told Joseph and Mary of the great salvation that God will bring for both Jew and Gentile. It's going to come through their baby boy. In verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. When they heard... What God would do through the Christ, Joseph and Mary marveled, filled with wonder at what God would do. And I reckon we do well to do the same, to be filled with wonder at what God has done for us through Jesus. But look, before we think about how we can marvel at Jesus, I want us to think about one way that won't. And I want to mention this way because it's a common way that people think they're giving Christ his due. People who do this think they're marvelling at Jesus when in actual fact what they're doing is insulting him terribly. And so they're in grave danger of missing out on this very salvation he came to bring. It's common in people who have a real awareness of their sin. And I take it that many of us here have that awareness. You want your sin dealt with and you're grateful for Jesus dying that we can be forgiven It's just that you really feel like you need to pull your socks up and stop sinning so much before God will accept you. And so you've asked God to forgive you, but you're still trying to make sure that he'll have you. And so you're working hard at being good to make sure you'll get into heaven. Now that sounds innocent enough, even as if you've got your heart in the right place. But sadly, what it shows, if that's you is that you don't trust Christ to be good enough for you. That when Christ died under the judgment of God, when he took sin upon himself, and when he endured the wrath of God in the place of sinners, that the agony he went through in the physical death, the terror that he had in facing his father's judgment, that he did all of that and he rose from the dead, but that for you and your sin, he wasn't enough. And so you feel like you need to stop sinning so much before God will accept you. 
Now, can you see what a huge insult that is to Jesus? It's a little bit like standing in front of a Monet masterpiece and grabbing a paintbrush to fix it up because you think Monet didn't do well enough. I mean, one, you're saying that Monet needs help when it comes to painting. Two, that of all people, you're the one who can improve on him. Now, not only is that an insult to Monet, it's a very inflated view of yourself to think that you could improve on Monet. And if we try and help Jesus out when it comes to saving us from God's judgment, well, one, we're saying that Jesus needs help to save us, and two, we reckon we're good enough to improve on him. It's not like that. Me trying to help out fixing my sin is like trying to clean a dirty shirt with muddy water. Dirt can't help get rid of dirt. And a sinner can't help get rid of sin. Jesus is God's appointed forever king who came to save his people. And he finished that job when he died on that tree. So please don't insult him by saying that he needs your help. Instead, marvel at him. Marvel at what he's done. Be filled with wonder that he has done everything and trust in him alone because it really is Christ alone who can save us from God's judgment. And so in this week before Christmas, let's marvel at Jesus. Make a deliberate decision this week to spend time remembering what Christ did for you on that tree. Now, look, I know there's going to be a lot on final preparations for Christmas. It can get really hectic. But remember last week, perfect preparations for Jesus coming to be king is to be humble before him. And so this week, spend some time humbly reading God's word and marvel at Jesus and the salvation he's brought. Listen to God speak to you of his Christ as you read his word. And in your prayers, spend time marveling with God at what he's done for you in Jesus. And look, if you're in a family or you live with other people, do this with others. Do it together. Share in the wonder of Christ crucified to save you. Together marvel at the love and the power of God that Christ would endure God's judgment against our sin. If your parents impress on your children that the real joy of Christmas is God's great salvation through Christ, dying on a tree. Sing songs together, read the scriptures together, pray together. And look, if you're a child at home, don't let your parents get too flustered with all this Christmas stuff that goes on. You remind them that Christmas is about Jesus come to bring God's judgment to an end. And look, why not go and buy a Christmas CD with songs on it that speak of Christ? Fill your house with the news that Jesus Christ came to save. Make posters, write a song, whatever it is that will help you marvel and wonder and appreciate all that the Lord Jesus has done when he died on that tree because he was born to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth, even to Dubbo. Jesus was born to save even you and me, by hanging on a tree. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we are truly humbled and filled with awe and wonder that you sent your Son 
born as a baby boy to grow up and die on a tree. Not that he deserved it, but Father, in love, he went to the cross that we might be saved from your judgment, forgiven of our sin, given your very spirit, made into your people, guaranteed of eternal life, all because your son hung on that tree. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we glory in your Son and his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. Father, thank you for your love of us in your Son, Jesus. And we pray that this week, but not just this week, all of our days, we would marvel in humble gratitude at the great King Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.